Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden Acrylics, Mediums, and Materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Natalie Frank was born in Austin, Texas, and received her Master's of Fine Arts in 2006 from the Columbia University in New York, and her Bachelor's of Arts in 2002 from Yale University. In 2004, Natalie was awarded a Fulbright Scholarship to the National Academy of Fine Art in Norway. Natalie has been the subject of recent solo exhibitions at Miles McHenry Gallery, the Kemper Museum in Kansas City, Brattleboro Museum and Art Center in Vermont, Madison Museum of Contemporary Art in Wisconsin, Salon 94 in New York, Laos and King in New York, Half Gallery in New York, Laura Reynolds Gallery in Austin, Rona Hoffman Gallery in Chicago, the University of Kentucky Art Museum in Kentucky, and many more. She's been included in group exhibitions at numerous international institutions, including the Bowdoin College Museum of Art, in Brunswick, Maine, the Corcoran in Washington, D.C., Flag Art Foundation in New York, the London Museum of Design in the U.K., the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth, the National Academy Museum in New York, the New York Academy of Art, Welland Museum of Art, the Tang Teaching Museum at Skidmore College, the Weatherspoon Art Museum, and the Yale University Art Gallery in New Haven, amongst others. Her work can be found in the collections of the Art Institute of Chicago, the Blant Museum of Art, the Bowdoin College Museum of Art, the Brooklyn Museum of Art, the Beth Rudin DeWoody Collection in Florida, the Everson Museum of Art at Syracuse, the Kemper Art Museum in St. Louis, the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philly, the Weatherspoon Art Museum, and many more. I spoke with Natalie about starting with the figure early, navigating studying art in rigorous programs, Books, performance, Lau Love It, and lots more. Here's our conversation. I'm ready. Let's do it. You don't sound too excited about that. No, I am, I am, I am, I am. But, uh, so you grew up in Texas, is that right? I did, in Austin and Dallas. I moved to Dallas when I was about 10. 
Um, but I had a, a little bit of an unconventional upbringing, I think, for someone in the art world. I, my mom ran a thousand acre working cattle ranch in East Texas. So I grew nice. up kind of on the farm, jumping hay and fishing and riding. Um, and as Jews in East Texas, it was especially interesting. The KKK was quite active and Jesus. there was a lot of drug running and, you know, everyone was like Billy Bob and Billy Bubba and Billy Ray. And um, yeah, my mom was the Jew lady's daughter and I was the Jew lady's granddaughter and her parents had come over from Russia uh, during World War One, and half the family went into oil and half into cattle ranching. And unfortunately, our side went into cattle ranching. <laughs> <laughs> the slightly less lucrative, more roll up your sleeve. Slightly genre. less lucrative, yes. <laughs> but how do so. I mean? How did just Texas? Just I mean, was there? You know what I mean? I'm. It's. I'm always curious as to how, where people land and what brings them to those places. You know, because that's a. It's a very specific area slash kind exactly. of work. You know what I mean? How did that happen? Yeah. I think at that time, my grandfather came out, um, you know, in the, in the midst slightly after World War One, and had, as a Jew, had been hidden in a Christian family's barn for a couple of years, lived in the barn, finally got out. And his whole extended family slowly just started to come over to the United States through Ellis Island. And I think they ended up in a place where, some person like the the initial person went for some reason because they heard there was land and then the whole family just joined them yeah so it was a lot of brothers and sisters and they all just came to east texas to make their way god it's fascinating like how you know there's there's that dynamic of when people come and you know it's kind of like well we hear that there's an opportunity in this spot yeah. and it seems yeah. somewhat right. Or there's also other communities. Like when you, you know, look at a lot of, you know, like in Chinatown, there's a lot of people who've immigrated yeah. there and they just have a connection or it's a place where, you know, there's a large community and then other people just go way out. Like away yeah. from, yeah. you know what I mean? It's really, it's, it's such an interesting thing, you know, the migration of people and how that that works. So did you feel, so you felt, so the first 10 years were in Austin? The first 10 years were in Austin, which is I, just such a city I'm so fond of. I had the occasion to go back. Um, I did a show of Grimm's Fairy Tales that started at the Drawing Center and traveled to the Blanton, which is UT's art museum. So yeah. was able to go back and spend some time there with Veronica Roberts and the team at the museum. And then that book was made into a ballet a couple of years later. So I spent a lot more time in Austin at that point. Um, it's a city I really love. It's kind of, it's why I have no accent, um, Southern accent. And, but it's full, of, it was originally kind of full of hippies and tech people and the university and um, it's a live music capital of the US and so much good food and Willie Nelson and all of these kind of things I love, which were part of my upbringing, um, being out in nature but it, it's grown a lot as a city. My my father and stepmother are still there. But at 10, I moved, unfortunately, to Dallas, which was not a city I really enjoyed. Um, it was very conservative, very repressive. Um, my mom works in real estate development, built shopping centers, which is, you know, a strong foray into a man's world. And it still feels very... 
um, gendered yeah. down there and divided in terms of many different lines. Um, and I had a bit of a tough time in school. I went to school with like Dr. Phil's son and, you know, it was like the football team and the cheerleaders. And I was even a gymnast and they wouldn't let me on the cheerleading team. Um, wow. So yeah, Jeez. I'm not still bitter about that, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a very repressive place for, you know, I started doing nude figure drawing when I was 12 or 13 um, outside of school, of course, in a woman's garage with my mom had to come with me and all of these other, you know, 60 to 75 year old women. And um, I would bring the drawings back to my high school to show my art teacher who was wonderful. And the head of the school saw them and just like started this six, seven year war to have me kicked out of school for being a pornographer. Jeez. Um, so it's, it was, it rough. was after- it it's was a, it, it was it seems rough, like yeah. Austin was the was the perfect environment. You know what I mean? Or much better than Dallas, where it's Friday Austin. night lights. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Know, a little more corporate and right way. You know, and Austin feels yeah. more organic and way more attuned to a sort of creativity. Yeah. No, I'm I think so. I'm sure Dallas now there's there's that element or there's those people, you know what I mean? But it just feels like Austin would be a great place. So so at 10 years old too, that's a tough move as well, because, you know, you're, you're sort of conscious of where you are at that point. I mean, you may not have yeah. the roots dug in, like if you're in high school or something, but still that's, seems like it'd be a tough move. Yeah, it was tough, but I luckily probably like, I don't know, so many other artists knew from an early age, I wanted to be an artist. So I spent an inordinate amount of time alone, drawing and painting and whatever I was doing in abandoned rooms I could find, um, looking at art books. So I think that made it a little easier. Yeah. Um, You know, it is an impossible question to answer, but I'll ask it anyways. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like it's, it's interesting. Like if you grew up the whole time in Austin and maybe you had less of that pushback or that charged environment of like, heroism or football or you know where you feel like well i just don't i'm not fit in or Mm -hmm. i'm just not accepted in the same way that others are who you know do a b and c or whatever that if your work your creativity would have taken shape the way it did and you were your vocabulary of what you're interested in visually where it goes i guess we're, we're all a product of our path in a way for good or for bad for easy for difficult or whatever right right right, right. Yeah, yeah i think i learned yeah i learned at an early age um to advocate for myself and speak up about the things i saw around me that i didn't agree with i remember in i think it was middle school i got i received some art award and i read about the you know, Senator who was behind it. And he turned it, he, he, you know, had voted against the NEA and cut all arts funding for his district. And I remember I gave back the award <laughs> in protest. And I think the local paper wrote something about it, but I think I've always felt that impetus, you know, whether it was seeing, you know, our family in East Texas or my mom working in a man's world or the kind of pushback I got at school to, speak up about the things I believe in. And I think it certainly um, is a big part of my work, which for better or worse can make it difficult. um, I think for people. Yeah. 
I mean, that what a social warrior, that guy. <laughs> great to cut, you know, cut the funding for all this art crap where nothing but debauchery happens and, you know, celebrate the sort of like morals of the church or whatever, yeah. you know? Right, like, exactly. The, yeah. And uh, yeah, geez. I mean, I guess, yeah, it, it's that idea of, you know, I, I'm always, as a parent, I'm always thinking about that too. It's like how much struggle because yeah, you, you always want to provide like a good experience or make yeah. things comfortable in a way. But then it's like, yeah. how much struggle is actually good? Like it, it builds you preparedness right. and it's, right. it's not fun. It's like boot right. camp, right? Right, right. I think my dad was a big believer in that. I remember he was like, want to learn how to swim? I'll shove you in the pool. Yeah. Oh, you, he was like, you know, oh, you're scared of heights? When you're 15, we're going to send you on Outward Bound because you've done enough of these artsy programs and you're going to go with 15-year-old boys and, wa- and they're going to watch you pee in the woods and you're going to go mountain climbing because you're scared of heights. You know, it's like builds character. That. It was that like second generation immigrant sensibility. But you know what's funny? That mentality, which if you look back on it, you're like, well, you know what? That's That's a parent who's trying to create strength and the resolve yeah. and the ability to handle, um, you know, conflict in their kid. Yeah. But yeah. at the same line, it's it's a very fine line between that and a sort of like toxic masculinity or like, you know, dogma of like, you got to get out there and kick ass. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's, it's real close. But, yeah, one, but one is seen as like, oh, well, that's kind of a good thing because that's, you know, getting character. Yeah. Builds character or getting you prepared for the BS that's out there because in life whether yeah. you're a human or an animal or whatever it's rough out there you know what i mean it's a in a way you know what i mean it's, yeah. a, it's a tough yeah. world yeah. so yeah i don't know it's it it's interesting because i see it too like in teaching and you know some yeah. students who have like less they just want that they have that fight or they they have the hunger right you know what i mean right. and the ones that are comfortable are like me and don't and you think you have to have that to persevere I mean, in the art world especially i think so any but- world Probably. But I am, I also have been conditioned to feel, to question myself constantly because um, I grew up that way. So it's my default. So am I, am mm-hmm. I just being an older person who believes this is the best way mm-hmm. or are things just different now and you've got to navigate it in a new kind of way? I don't, that's what I'm always questioning myself because I don't want to be the kind of guys like when, when I was, and I used to, when I was mm-hmm. in school, I eat, sleep you know, think about art all the time. I'm in the studio 25 hours a day. And right. I was, I, but there was nothing else to do. Like I was, you know, I just got lost yeah. in it. Right. Maybe it's different now. Should I be yelling at kids to like turn off Netflix and be in the studio all the time? I kind of think so, but I don't know. Like, I do, or am I just the old guy? I was like, well, I was a kid. We used to work hard. You guys don't because you're, you know, you have technology or whatever. It's tough. Well, it's- yeah, it's a it's you know, it's a weird balance, especially I see when I teach generational change in terms of expansiveness of people's thought and um like what you know, what is quote unquote um kind of accepted and what is um kind of how open people are now as opposed to our gener I feel like our generation, um, you know, I remember when I went to Columbia, they said we take two to three figurative painters every year. It's capped. And, you know, I can't imagine someone saying that now and getting away with that. And that's just like a very benign example. But there's, um, 
but yet on the other hand, the market and the, the kind of consumer's impulse and the money in the art world have really worked in, in the opposite direction. And it's this really strange balance, I think, for, you know, people who came up from our generations, like, you know, Dana Schutz was two years in front of me at Columbia. And that, to my mind, was like the first time people in school were getting attention and making money and able to support themselves. And I came up sort of as part of that. And there were all these articles written when I was at Columbia about the market and young artists. And there was so much attention and there was no preparation for it either and no infrastructure for it. And now I know they teach business of art classes, but there's this even harder kind of driving force of money and what's selling and, and like shared taste and it's gotten, you know, kind of out of control and, it's an, I think an especially weird, it's a weird balance, but a, also a weird feeling, I think, for um, mid-career women, Yeah. Um, you know, who started out, you know, having all the, the waiting lists and the attention and the this or the that, whether it was wanted or not. And now, you know, you see cycles come and go and it's, it's kind of weird to, to try to figure out where you are and. I've always just kind of let the work guide me for better or worse. So, you know, if I wanted to do books or performance design um, or stop painting and start drawing, I've just always kind of done that and learned how to independently put projects together and, um, you know, run all the projects myself. So the galleries haven't really been a part of it, but there are commercial kind of drawbacks to that too. Yeah. I think that you've got, that's the best way to do it really because then you yeah. can follow your own drive because so much of that pressure that's out there and it really has everything to do with you know information and having access to all this stuff that mm-hmm. you know there's a pressure and there's a feeling like well i gotta do this or you have to do this to do this whereas if you go into it like when we were coming up because i think i'm just i probably graduated a couple years well i was graduate school you were an undergrad i think right after i left when I was in graduate school at Yale. So okay. we're not when that, did you, I graduated you in 99. Oh, from undergrad. Uh, grad. Grad. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't smart okough okay. to get into Yale. It's an undergrad. <laughs> you guys are different. <laughs> um, so, but I did have friends that you, anyways, that you might know. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, it was like at that point, we were, as we get out of school, we're kind of developing or coming at this process of making work and entering into the field of where people, you know, show the work, sell the work, think about the work, write about the work or whatever, as technology was growing. So it was like a parallel track, which is really weird because it's a forest from the trees. Like you can't step outside of that. You know what I mean? It's not like we came to being either before or after it. We came to being with it. Right. So it, it, to me, it becomes very, difficult to uh, my whole impetus is if you can just make what you want to make and be sustainable like figure out a framework to where you can survive and just do the things you want to do is it is it the same for you that your kind of relationships that people you went to school with or people artists you found along the way or curators or whomever those have been the most important kind of arbiters of where you are and you know, your work and those are the people you turn to. Yeah. But a lot of those people, it's funny. They're, they're kind of like 
creative people in other areas or, or there's uh, i mean mm -hmm. i i have artist friends who of course mm -hmm. like those people that i talk to about artwork and stuff and that's more just fun like let's just chat about art or whatever mm. you know what I mean? but then there's a lot of other people in other fields whether it's design or you know photography or not mm -hmm. commercial photography or you know people who are doing different things fashion stuff like that that mm -hmm. are nice to bounce ideas off of as yeah. well because it's just yeah. a, no, they're they're Different. interesting people, and I collaborate yeah. with musicians and other people like that. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. feel like diversifying the community of people that you could talk to about wanting to express is mm -hmm. good because it doesn't yeah. all become about this one weird canon of like showing <laughs> right. and selling artwork. Right, right. Yeah. I definitely agree, and that's been the joy of kind of working in teams the past ten years, whether it's on books or performance design, um, and these kind of odd projects um it's so when when you're in a like-minded group it really um exponentially grows the excitement and the talent and the um kind of frenzy of the creative process it's really exciting yeah and you know when i was thinking about you know these um projects that you've worked on whether it be at the the books the artist books or mm -hmm. the the narrative of you know literature to fuel these images mm -hmm. or you know then bringing it into the world of dance or performance mm -hmm. it's exciting because your images aren't just thought i, I would imagine in your brain mm -hmm. your images aren't mm -hmm. just thought of as like i'm putting this on a wall and then someone buys it or it goes into a mm -hmm. music or a collector's mm -hmm. home or something <laughs> it goes out in such a different way that mm -hmm. it charges you and it makes you feel like oh other people were seeing this stuff too in a different way and then it kind yeah. of i don't know it it makes it a bigger universe yeah. of the way that yeah. like when i do a music video with an art with a musician it's so cool because that i mean almost no one quote unquote in the art world probably ever sees that or gives a shit about it but it goes out to so many other different people who mm -hmm. see the work in relation to those sounds and it kind of like mm -hmm. i don't know it does mm -hmm. something more i think in a way not that there's How anything wrong with the people who just make five right. pictures and then show it, and then next year they do five you know that's cool too i'm just saying yeah it's, yeah it's kind of different. nice it takes a little bit yeah. of the pressure off of it all your eggs being in one basket i think right 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 and have has that been a balance that you've had to find in terms of your practice of how much of each to do um well how to yeah, allot your energy yeah. i think my my entire life is that balance of like you know waking up and the of all the things that I'm doing, you know, family, like everything, it's mm -hmm, it's that balance. Mm -hmm. But you, I, the way I approach it is, I find that way to get the time for each thing that I need to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, I just, mm -hmm. I just, it just kind of works in a way. Mm -hmm, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know, but you, it, I, well, maybe I would imagine for you as well, and like in my process, I I think those projects like stimulate you they give you more energy too even mm -hmm. though it's another mm -hmm. thing that you're doing mm -hmm. doesn't it fuel like w isn't working with these narratives something that you know ends up feeding back into your work you know it 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 felt so vital for i guess i started in about 2011 2012 13 working on those grimm's drawings which was my first time working from literature and thinking about making books and um, and it felt like the only thing I could do for 10 years. And now I just opened the show with Miles and it has, um, seven drawings from the series on the Raven I made for, um, artist book with Arion Press on Edgar Allan Poe. 
and then images of female lion tamers. And after I finished that work, I thought, I want to go back to painting. I want to go back to oil painting. I want to strip everything away, all the narrative. And I think, like, go back to what a portrait, how, like, the way that a portrait can convey power with so little. And I know it was just like this instinctual kind of shift inside of me and I think a series of conversations I've had with people who I really respect their eye and, you know, something I had been thinking about, but I kind of had to feel. So I'm excited to move back into that. I literally put my oil paints away for 10 years. I, I hid them so I didn't have to look at them. Um, them <laughs> yeah, locked them up. So, um, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. You know? Yeah, but all those experiences in between, it must be nice because then that comes out like it recharges. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I try to um, change the way I'm working. You know, like mm -hmm. whenever COVID hit, I was working on small collages again. And mm -hmm. I had stopped mm -hmm. because my hands felt like they were going to fall off because yeah. all the cutting and stuff, you know. <laughs> exactly. Like yeah, tunnel. yeah, yeah. And I was like, I got to take a break from this, you know. Mm -hmm. But then during COVID, I had a lot of time at home with a lot of paper. Mm -hmm. So I started doing mm -hmm. it again. And it mm -hmm. it's like going back to something that I used to do and then I took yeah. a break from, but it's it's right. you get recharged because of that break. Yeah. It's like yeah. you need breaks sometimes, I think. Yeah, you do. And I feel really um this show coincided with two book releases and then this um Apple TV series I worked on that I did the art for. So it feels like a good time to kind of slow down and get back to something that I did for a long time that I stopped doing. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into, I would love to ask you about your undergrad experience because you, the way, you know, being an art student there as an undergrad is, is I, from what I gather is very different from the graduate program mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the people that I know who have gone through that program and, and continue on are not only very bright and talented, but also very adept at doing different things or really, I don't mm. know, there's just, they get tend to get things done and do some really cool <laughs> stuff. And I mean, you're, you're clearly, you know, um, doing a lot of different projects and, and you've written as well, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, yeah, I'm curious as to what the experience was like. And if that is where a lot of the foundations of this, you know, the approach that you have or the way that you choose what you're working on mm. is kind of important. And I know that you, you know, you've had mentors that have sort of like the Grimm project was, is her mm -hmm. last name's Rigo, right? Paula Rigo. Paula Rigo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's Portuguese, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. lived in London for most of her life. Yeah. Like I know that was, you know, a suggestion or something that you've, but I mean, mm -hmm. it, you know, was the groundwork, what was the groundwork like? What, you know, what happened in undergrad that sort of like built a foundation for that? Yeah, it's such a good question because it was such an important experience for me. I think coming from, you know, a good a good school in Dallas, but one that I had never taken an economics class or an art history class or a political science class. Like we were taught how to climb ropes and um, square dance in Texas history. And there was a, you know, a solid education at the school, but I got to Yale and I was really out of my depth um, in terms of many of my classmates' exposure in the world, their upbringings, their education. Um, and so I learned to kind of figure things out. And I think that's what Yale taught me how to do was 
develop who I was as a person and my interests. And I had the support that gave me the confidence to do that. And I think that's been the single most probably important skill I've learned in, in life. Um, um, you know, I had a, I have a very supportive family um, and my mom has always been very interested in the arts, but I, I, I hadn't been exposed to a lot of the things that I think some of my peers had. Um, but in, at Yale, I had a, I was very lucky to be put in a residential college because there are different residential colleges yeah. where students live and there's like a headmaster and a dean that oversees it. And my headmaster um, just happened, he was an, he's an engineer and he just happened to love the arts and he was friends with like Paul Cadmus and Michael Leonard and um, Dennis Hopper. And he would have these master's teas with incredible artists and, you know, like our poet laureate and the access to people and ideas was pretty incredible. And early on, he, he was, he, he just became incredibly supportive and we got to be really good friends. And he's still one of my closest friends because he really changed my life. Um, every summer there was, you know, I was fortunate enough to be at a place where there was money to support students. And so every summer he'd give me money to go study in a different country and travel and see art in person and um, gave me a studio in my college that I worked in when I wasn't in class, like a, a, a dirt room, you know, um, and just really became an advocate and kind of a mentor. And I think that made all the difference. Yeah. It's like that can, you know, so many people just have that one person who creates that yeah. environment or atmosphere. Um, mm -hmm. What, uh, what college was, or what they had names, right? Weren't they named? After yeah. yeah and that became problematic was... <laughs> at some point. Didn't it right. Become... <laughs> well, some of them. Yes. This was yeah. Jonathan Edwards. Um, okay. and his name is, uh, Dr. Gary Haller and, yeah. Yeah, he's he's just an amazing man who really loves what he does. And, um, you know, he took me to see my first opera and I smoked my first cigar with him and had my first scotch and we went to the ballet. And, you know, I had never sat in like, you know, downstairs before near the stage. And sometimes we'd go backstage and just all these things that were so exciting. Yeah. Wait, so this is a person who just weren't like you're smoking cigars with students? And drinking and drinking the new Beaujolais Nouveau every year and really? dancing wow, and yeah, he was you know he was a bon vivant. He, yeah, uh, I wonder if that still happens or if that's been I don't like know. yeah. Murder. Yeah, I that. don't know. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do that in undergrad. Is like after final crits, take out the the teachers to the pub or say we're we're going to this pub. Like come and like they would come yeah. and like have a few drinks and tell stories and it was always really great. And then I think that just got 86 at some point where it's like, yeah, you can't do yeah. that. Yeah. No, this was all like um, school sanctioned on school property, sometimes in his home with students. It was wonderful. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it great. Was great. I mean, bon vivant. I mean, that's such a nice idea, isn't it? Like these, people, yeah. but then like, it's a fine line between that and privilege. And then I don't know. Can't yeah. we have it all in a way? But just in a good way. Well, we were we were sleeping in bunk beds with no climate control with rats, so I, it did kind of even rats. out. Wow. Yeah, there were rats in the dorms. They've renovated everything now, but when we were there, it was four years of bunk beds. So I remember the bunk beds because my friends were across from the art school, well, the A and A yeah. building, and yeah. uh, we 
were in a band and we would play you know how there's like underground tunnels yeah. and spaces everywhere mm-hmm. we found mm-hmm. places to practice down there it yeah. seemed perfectly like a, a a welcoming habitat for rats i mean it's all like underground <laughs> it's like the the secret of nim under there you know it's like yeah, a yeah, network yeah, of exactly. like life underneath yeah yeah you can make it from yeah. one end of the campus to the other underground which is really weird but kind of cool it was fun yeah, I remember visiting the school thinking this is the place where like smart weird people go and I want to I want to go there. Yeah, that so, that's yeah. good. Those are good adjectives for the people. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you so you weren't what were your art classes? Like did you have Robert Reed? Oh, yes, I was actually just talking to Lisa Davis about that, which is a name I have not thought of in so many years. Whoops, um, sorry. Was that a bad? He was he was my teacher. He was one of those people who I think should have been in the army. He was one of those people who saw promise in someone and then would like tear them apart with his fingernails, which is basically what he tried to do to me. Um, I remember I was in his basic drawing class. He said, identified early on, he was like, you have talent. So every week, you, the only person in the class, I'm going to give this assignment to is to do 150 drawings and bring them on a Friday and you're going to present them to the class of like your shoe. And this went on for a while and my grades started slipping and I started to really struggle because I was spending so much time involved in his mania. And eventually I dropped all my art classes. Um, I think I got a C in English and I was like, ah, I'm out. Um, I didn't come here for this and it was not, it did not feel like it was constructive. It felt really psychologically wrong. Um, And he held that against me for four years and I dropped all his classes. He kept me out of Norfolk. He kept me out of all the programs. Um, I just tried to stay away from him and I took basically as few art classes as possible. Lisa was one of my teachers and Kurt Copper and they were wonderful, but it wasn't a really robust program the time I was there. And I was fortunate, you know, when I was 15 and that my headmaster kept torturing me that my mom had, I don't know who she called, but she found the Slade in London, which was UCL's UCL's art school where Freud Mm -hmm. and Paula and all these people had been. And she got me into the summer program and I applied and she sent me over there to live on my own starting when I was 15, just for summers. But wow. at 15, that was exciting to go live yeah. in London for three months by myself. And then again at 17 and when I, and then Gail, you know, provided me the funds to go when I was in college. But had I not had that, um, I think the background and, you know, p- my peers and, in school didn't know how to clean their brushes much less you know like cool and warm or what pigments were transparent or how to work from life and i think it was a transition time at the school and yeah i was sort of unhappy so i spent a lot of time in the grad school sam messer was very kind to me and would let me audit classes and you know i worshiped like micheline thomas and um Zach Smith was there and um, Angela Strassheim. And it was a really talented group of students, but it was also, I would watch their crits, their pit crits. And I mean, you probably went through this. It was pretty aggressive and um, it felt really uh, combative 
and it, it all kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I knew I wanted to be an artist, but I, I didn't understand why there had to be so much aggression. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I've, I've said it to quite a few people who've experienced that. that yeah, I think later on you realize, oh, those professors are just like fighting over their ideologies. Yeah. Uh, and your work is just a pawn in the chess game right. of like their, what they feel is right or wrong or whatever. And it right. has to do with like what you were trying to get at. And I'm sure it's not all, right. it wasn't all like that, but in retrospect, that's what it felt like. Yeah, it did. And I remember. People just yell at each other, you know, like that's yeah, not it. And that's not it. So they would just use you like yeah. for their own, like, you know, reasons or, you know, what they don't like about that person, that other faculty's work or something. And yeah, that was, it was rough. It was rough Again, for you too. It, well, I mean, yeah, I didn't take it to, I mean, I some students, it was like fight or flight. Some would just like be like, I'm out of here. Like not literally, yeah. but they would just be like, I'm not making work. I'm staying away from the building. I mean, I just, for some reason, didn't really let it get to me. I mean, I, people hated my work there. And um, there were a couple of people who would support me, but, you know, I was just like, yeah, that's, I'm not their cup of tea. Oh, well. You know, and just mm -hmm. keep keep going with it. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. And then we'd have great visiting artists come and do studio yeah. visits, and some of those people were great. Some were again, they just come in and be like, you know, what are you doing? I don't get it. You know, it was kind of like, yeah. It teaches you to just, or it it taught me to really not give a shit about what people think and just do your thing. Just work yeah. hard at it. And some people are gonna love it. Some people are gonna hate it. And then mm -hmm. if everyone's saying the same thing. Like, you know what I mean? Then then it's like, okay, maybe they're on to something here. Like if right. keep bringing up like, you know, why is half of your painting always in black and white and the other half is in color? It doesn't really make sense. Everyone keeps saying the same thing. You're like, oh, maybe this isn't connecting or maybe <laughs> this isn't what I want people to be left with. So right. I, don't know, right. I, I, I found it, was, it wasn't easy, but it teaches you to, it gives you a skin. It's again, it's the yeah. line between, you know, right. preparing you and, and going through something tough Right. And then being able to come out the other end and just like, you know, abusive, like, you know, hard. It doesn't have to be that caustic and, you know, and, and aggressive against certain things. It can be much more supportive in a way. It's that right. fine line. I don't, yeah. I don't, but it sounds like you with when it came to Robert, it didn't work. Like he, I'm sure, because I've heard stories about him and that, you know, I've only had, I only had him in my studio a couple of times as a grad student. He was really, great he was supportive mm -hmm. and super yeah. nice guy but that where he he's like well I'll punish the people who are talented and see if they mm -hmm. rise up to it because they have the potential it's almost like the drill sergeant thing it's like well yeah. that might work for a lot of people it didn't work for you you were like this is not this is not well, helping the, me you know what yeah <laughs> i mean the problem i think in that scenario was that i grew up in a place where i saw men telling women what to do with like violence all the yeah. time and yeah. i just wasn't interested from an early age like right. sometimes abuse is just abuse I, and yeah um, definitely and i didn't want any part of it so right. and when you're when you're in a school educators are there to teach and nurture um and i always think about that when i go into people's studios because yes you can tell someone they should go to law school and they have no talent but is that like if that person wants to be an artist, you need to help them. It's your responsibility for 45 minutes or an hour to help them, you know, work with, with, and do what they want to do. 
that's, right. you know, it's not always your agenda. Well, I think, yeah, I totally agree. And I think back then it was more of like, here's the framework that's going to lead you to success. Like there was like, here's the roadmap. Someone feels they know that, you know what I mean? And if you don't fit into it, then you're not going to be able to do yeah. it. But obviously like that's not that everyone has their own metric. It's, yeah. it, you know, the, the whole yeah. my way or the highway and is that can work for a select group of people, but not everyone. But if you're actually a really great teacher, you, you figure out each person and what's going to make them better, right. what's going to inspire right. them. So right. every studio you leave, whether that person's going to go on to become an artist or not, or really yeah. devote their life to it, they feel like they want to keep going. They want to yeah. get better. It's right. it's really about that, I think, not crushing dreams and being like, you're not, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, I don't think that's really what art is about. I mean, when it comes no. to sports, maybe it's kind of a meritocracy. It's like, if you can put the ball yeah. in the hole you, a lot, you're going to, yeah. that's good. You know, you're going to be a good yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, with art, it doesn't really make sense. And I've seen people who I've taught, you know, early on in my teaching career, not like just the people who've gone through school, who've gone on to do really well, and they really struggled in school and they kind of disconnected yeah. sometimes. But then yeah. it just clicks. It's like certain things can click. So to just tell that person, well, you don't fit the mold. I don't know. Right. Right. But you, you made it. You made it through that experience. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. You were undeterred. <laughs> Yeah, you're making work. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you went to, so you doubled down. I mean, Columbia for grad school was probably no cakewalk either. <laughs> well, I think I graduated and, um, you know, it was hard because I don't know how you started to, to work in art, like professionally, but, you know, I graduated not knowing anyone in the, in the arts and how one becomes an artist and how you pay for things, you know, make a living in the arts. And it was, it was fortunate because the um, head of my college, his, someone who had also been in my college who he had been close with was then working at the Met, Metropolitan Museum for Bill Lieberman. And they were interviewing for um, Nan Rosenthal for an assistant. Every year she took on a new assistant. And um, so I interviewed for that job and, and got it. And, you know, that was also like, show up on her in her park avenue home and she answered the door in a hairnet and a muumuu with cigarettes and it was 10 30 in the morning in a scotch and just like yelled at me for an hour and interrogated me in her living room with all the like johns and rauschenberg and fontanas and i guess because i didn't cry she took me on but that was that was another one of those really formative experiences and years and meeting her cohort you know and it's when i met linda nocklin and Calvin Tompkins and Dodie Kazanjan and all these just amazing people around her and learned what it, what it took for a woman of her generation to become successful in the art world and have the authority she did. And as the, you know, foremost Rauschenberg and John scholar and acquiring the white flag for the Met. And I think I learned more from people like that than, than in any school I've been to um, yeah. probably short of the Slade, but um, that was an extraordinary year. And I was talking with Ian Altavere. I didn't realize he had also worked for Nan, but there's this great lineage of people who kind of survived um, the year with Nan and were called Nanettes. Um, and I just remember her so fondly, but that's when I decided to 
I was like, I'm going to go anywhere in the world if someone else will pay for me to, <laughs> to just make art. Cause I was painting at night and working for her by day. And every day I was like crying or I was, you know, on top of the world. And, um, and so I, I went to Oslo for a year on uh, Fulbright and looked at Edvard Munch. And that was another really important year. I think much these years were, were so much more important than, than school for me. Um, yeah but took that time to make a body of work to um, apply to Columbia with. And that was a tough, you know, that was a tough experience in grad school. It was, like I said, the height of this exploding art market and a lot of attention. And I didn't really want to be in any of it. I didn't want to be in the pictures, the group pictures in the times or the wall street journal articles. And it was overwhelming and I just wanted to make my work. And, you know, on the other hand, when galleries come and they want to show you, and they're selling your work and you don't have to take a day job. It's also appealing. Um, but you don't have the experience to kind of realize maybe you're in over your head a little bit, which I was. Um, well, before we go into that, that was Norway amazing. I mean, what was that? It was, was it tough? Was Was it dark? A lot of it was, it was a great year. I'm very good at being alone. It was, um, the most expensive city in the world. The Fulbright did not, pay like an exorbitant amount of money um so it was hard to it was a little hard to live like you go into the grocery store and raw meat would be 30 dollars a serving right Um, it's more expensive than tokyo it was at the time the most expensive city in the world 2000 why was that i wonder for um they have oil money and they just can subsidize um everything and people really stay in their homes because it's dark and cold most of the year. So there's not a lot of socializing and everything was so expensive. People didn't really go out much. And I was just in Oslo recently and it's changed so much as a city. It's now a really cosmopolitan city, but back then it was like a graveyard and a few restaurants and a waterfront. And sounds like a great (laughs) Um, And foiled by oil money again, you being tangentially <laughs> well the, i wasn't that, the beneficiary and then but. it seems that you've learned a lot from people who drink have a drink and a smoking device in a hand <laughs> there's, there's like themes well that's here, everyone though. in our world right i guess that's true yeah <laughs> of a different <laughs> the, generation those bon vivants of influence have like a drink and a and a smoke like, you know yeah I worked with rona for a really long time hoffman in chicago yeah. and she was another one of those like grand dame always had a drink and a cigarette so I love that you know, image. You know, it's with it comes great knowledge and yes, history, and slight odor, of yeah, smoke. <laughs> so, um, uh, so grad school in that time, so it was blowing up because Columbia, because it's all Dana's fault, right? <laughs> the wonderful, esteemed, angelic Dana Schutz, who's beyond the most talented. Um, oh, she's yes, great. she's great. We, yeah, we were. I think we were at Skowhegan before she went to Columbia. After we were there mm-hmm. the same year in '99, so mm-hmm. I went right after grad school, and yeah. um, it was a really great year. It was a really great year. Yeah, but she was yeah. amazing. And yeah. then she went to school after that. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was right around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. but and then an intense. Was it? Well, no, I don't. Was it? What was the? Um. What was that kind of the feeling of, was there a pressure of a kind of work that people should be making or was that pretty open there? Well, like I said, they had, 
weird quota for figurative painters, but you know, they, I was painting from life when I got there. And I remember they quickly kind of shook that out of me and the crits were pretty aggressive. Um, shook it out, exercise the demons of life, yeah. life painting. Like, yeah. Um, it was, you know, really competitive and people would listen in on your phone conversations in your studios. And then you'd read about it in the press. Like what the hell? it was, it was pretty cutthroat. Um, that's weird. So, and there was, there was just a lot going on. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I had access to great, like Jerry Saltz was a teacher and Lynn Cook and Collier Shore and just amazing people, you know, coming in and out. And it was a real privilege to be able to talk to them and share your work. And um, yeah. You've been, a, nice you've been in, in these environments that aren't very easy, right? <laughs> They're challenging. Yeah, kind of like tough, but then these amazing people and resources in these places—it's yeah. kind yeah. of cool. It's a very, yeah. you know, sometimes people will do not. Sometimes it's just it just happens the way it happens. It's not even premeditated. But sometimes people will go like do an undergraduate or graduate thing, and they're kind of like polar opposites. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I did Penn State to Yale, which was like night mm-hmm. and day. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then even. Um, grad school to Skowhegan was a totally different vibe. I mean, Skowhegan was like, hey man, we're all just here swimming in the mm-hmm. lake, making art. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was like mm-hmm. laid back yeah. and chill. So, but you've, it seems like you've had this kind of a, a persistence, even Dallas being in an, an environment that's not exactly comfortable or whatever, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I And it's funny because I really thrive in calm, stable environments. Um, but maybe that's what my studio's for. I don't know. I mean, was your experience with Mary really different from the rest of your time in the art world? Or has it also been a lot of intense situations with Mary? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was short. It was only two years. I think that I was there and she was fine. She didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, she was nice to me and she gave yeah. me the shows and, you know, yeah. I don't, I think she liked my, uh, my astrological sign. Uh-huh. But but then it was just like, you know, okay, it's time to go. <laughs> I don't know. It, it yeah. wasn't a survey. I know people have had, you know, very intense dealings yeah. with certain people in the art world. Mm-hmm. I I had, you know, it was fine. That's great. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, I feel like I'm just kind of, you know, under the radar of everything. I'm just like on the side of everything. <laughs> really? <laughs> but you've get... seen, you've seen all the like ups and downs and like when your peers, you know, blow up and then you're, you know, you're here one day and you're there one the next day. It's like, yeah. it's all a whirlwind, right? But I feel, you know, you're going to have your good times. You're going to have your bad times. Just yeah. be thankful that you're on the road and that you're having things happen and you're able right. to take part in, in a way. Right. So right. I guess I take that approach to kind of everything, you know what I mean? And not yeah. get too high on the highs and too low on the lows. Right. And, you know, I've had good mentors, too, you know, and having like Byron Kim was one of my favorite mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. at, at Skowhegan. And he just seemed to exude the, a kind of like calmness about, you know, yeah, there's this stuff. And, mm. and um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a good place to be is to not put too much stock into anything in a way. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. but really love the process or love like what it's all about really and i would argue and maybe you agree with this is like as an artist it's when you're in the studio in that flow state of like hour eight 
you know, mm -hmm. and you're really cooking in there. To me, that's yeah. my favorite. And that's when right. all the noise of the world is gone. But I don't, when you were in school, did your work, you know, going back to, to graduate school, mm -hmm. in that environment, did your work change? Like, obviously, you, you know, had to, or not had to, but you left life painting or drawing mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. started moving into narrative. And yeah, I imagine mm -hmm. you're, you're doing more imagination in that work. Was it, mm -hmm. was your work changing a lot? Did when you came out of there, did you feel like, okay, now, I'm, you know, you were kind of rolling or did you have that? I had that post grad school, like what the hell am I doing phase? <laughs> yeah, I think it was, it became more narrative. It became more imaginary, but it, I don't know. It was like something I had to work out of my system um, and kind of, strip it down and realize I think what I was doing was portraiture and kind of feel okay about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was, I don't know that showing early on helped me figure out what I was doing um, beyond giving me more time to work alone in the studio. And I think it's taken me, I'm like a late bloomer in a lot of regards in terms of, I don't know if it's wanting to do multiple things or not quite having figured out what I want to do early on, but maybe that's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Because I mean, when you say late bloomer, I mean, it, looking at your work and what you've done, it seems like, I mean, from the outside, it looks like, Oh, this is a person who's just really talented and then can do different things. And is just going into these different modes of working, <laughs> which, yeah really make like when i look at the work i don't see the work just as okay this is like i was mentioning earlier mm -hmm. someone is making 10 paintings and then showing it and then making them yeah I mean, you have such a, a cool influx of all this narrative and and kind oh, of like you. experiential stuff that really makes the work from an outsider perspective and I mm -hmm. obviously i can only speak for myself and my own interpretation it just makes it really feel like a world that's outside mm -hmm. of just mm -hmm. one imaginative you know group of mm -hmm. images which mm -hmm. is really cool. Uh, no, thank in, you. In my estimation, but I don't. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I mean, because were, were you showing? Did you start showing right out of grad school? Yeah, I did a show with Fredericks um, with uh, Briggs Robinson mm -hmm. as I was finishing grad school, and then immediately a show with Mitchell and S. Nash after that. Right. Was it tough? Or just in the sense of like, oh, you you know, you're not even reflecting. You're just right on the hamster wheel. I think had I had given more thought to the situation I was in, I probably would have been terrified. I remember every time I walked in the door at Mitchell and S. and Nash, I blushed. I turned bright red and was didn't know what to say. And I remember when I first met, I had I worked with Jake Gorney and I had met Lucy, but the first time I met David Nash, I remember he thought I like worked at the front desk because I was so young. And, you know, he was like, sweetie, can you get me some water? And I was like, you know, I can, but hi, I'm one of your artists. Um, and it, it was, it was just this feeling and they were, they're wonderful. And they were, you know, Lucy and David were wonderful, but it, it was also the time like Charlie Finch was writing and Walter Robinson was running ArtNet and that was really predatory and aggressive. And he wrote these series of articles that were really disturbing and also, you know, sexist and he was vile. And 
they were published and it was at the time like blogs were starting. And I remember reading these blogs and people were comparing his article, his profiles on me to like date rapes. And he was talking about my chest and, you know, I was 25 and hadn't been in New York and in the art world. And, you know, I didn't know that I could tell these people to kind of fuck off or I didn't have a voice. I didn't have any power. I, I, I didn't know how to stand up for myself and it just all felt kind of gross. Yeah. That Charlie Finch stuff. Like I remember reading, it was Artnet, right? It was when he was writing. I remember reading those things being like this. It's so clearly this guy's like pervert, like his creep, like, you know, it just felt like perverted and creepy, but like then it just gets published and people are like, yeah. Walter published them and everyone read Artnet and it was just, you know, I hope things have changed. I mean, I'm sure they have a little bit, but. Yeah, I think there, you know, there's that sentiment or there's, there's, there's certain people just feel like certain ways of thinking or saying things about certain people is okay. You know what I mean? And they're just not going to shake from that until they're gone. And it's sad, but I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, you, you can read, because I remember reading some of this and being, what the, like, this is like total creep shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, but it's just, it's, it's also too, you know, in the last however many years, I don't know how, you know, me too on or, you know, it's, I, I hear so many times in listening to people who are interviewed or, or reading things of people saying like, well, this would never happen or, or movies like mm. that comedy would never happen now. You know what I mean? And it's just like seven or eight years ago. It's not that long ago. And it's like, did we just all of a sudden realize that all this stuff is not okay to say? <laughs> just, you know, it seems so strange that it's. Well, it, and it, and it kind of can cut both ways in a way. Like I remember, you know, in, in high school with my, the censor, you know, the censorship and trying to be kicked me out of high school. And then, you know, in grad school, and I've written about it in, um, in art news, I wrote a piece about me too, and sexual harassment when Charlie White came to my studio and said, you know, you know what you need, you need to be fucked up the ass. And I remember thinking, you know, like, you know, and then with Charlie and all these experiences, and I think many women have had similar, I know many women have had similar experiences. And then, um, you know, it was me too was starting. I wrote this piece and the the art world can be a minefield uh, for women artists. And, you know, two weeks later, I I was meant to do a show with this dealer, a woman downtown who was opening a new space and on the story of O, which has long been one of my favorite books since I was a young girl, um, written in the fifties by a woman to kind of prove that women had erotic imaginations. And it's kind of a send up of S and M and um, like Susan Sontag even wrote about it to, to talk about the difference between art, this book and pornography. And this female dealer called me up like six weeks before the show and said, I'm not going to show your drawings. Cause I think they're going to traumatize women. And I remember thinking, wow, like to your point, this is still happening. Yeah. And there wasn't even, there was no genitalia. There was no, there were, it it was like, I I didn't even understand. Like, I was like, they're hot pink and green and people are, they're dogs. And like, it's funny. And what, like, have you read the book? Um, But it's still, you know, the wheels keep turning. So. Yeah. It's, it's, 
It's pretty depressing. I mean, and and it's like they're when there's a positive change or something that seems like it's mm-hmm. pushing towards a good direction, there is like an almost simultaneous desire to get back before that kind of like corrective thinking, which right. is like, like which is just Obama goes to show and yeah, Trump exactly. Okay. And here we are. Yeah. Well, let's turn the ship away from that conversation. <laughs> it's going to get grip. Boy, the portraits are beautiful in the show. And Thank you. a question to the pulp pieces how did that start because it's i mean you know that that process is not i mean i've dabbled i've been around it no i mean Uh you know because i was actually when i was in school i was part of the printmaking i was teaching printmaking and and in paper Mm -hmm. work on paper i love and Mm -hmm. have always Mm -hmm. been into i've never really done that but someone someone working was doing um pulp um Mm -hmm. pieces and it, it seems real like labor intensive <laughs> it <laughs> is i love it i love like lithographs it's like whoa today. man it's yeah. not easy yeah no it's um i think someone someone was doing the workspace residency program and they were like mm-hmm. you should apply and i applied and i think they take a couple people a year and you go in from interview and i didn't know anything about pulp paper painting or paper making and i tried out a few things i worked with um amy jacobs who's wonderful and um, I just fell in love with this process and kind of use it like oil painting. And, you know, sometimes you do something and you discover you have an affinity for it and it can be a random thing. And for me, the pulp paper painting really changed. It was like a game changer because it was like a way of painting. I had always tried to find a looseness in, in oil painting, mm-hmm. but I, I could do, I can do it in pulp paper painting. So I've taken a lot of lessons from, the pulp paper painting back into drawing and painting. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting process with linen and cotton paper pulp that's been hand pigmented and beaten into these little flecks floating in water and you use it like paint, but it's just paper. Like there's yeah. no there's no addition of anything and it goes into a press and a drawing system and I don't understand how it works, um, but it's, it's amazing. And I think the Dudonet people know I'm obsessed and they were a little worried when I moved into the Navy yard in the building next door. I was like, I am coming for you. Um, <laughs> but they've been wonderful to me. And it's just a wonderful resource for artists because it's a very specific um, kind of historical genre. Yeah. The uh, the physicality of that stuff, too. Like when the piece itself Ugh, is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, there's nothing like it. it. It It has such a that that tactile kind of feel to it i don't know it holds like this sort of weight i don't know how to describe it mm-hmm. i mean i'm kind of a sucker for that it's funny because you know things can kind of look flat in reproduction but then in person there's such that you know you really mm-hmm. have to see this stuff yeah in flesh which is becoming less i feel like in vogue yeah <laughs> but exactly. it really does pay off but those yeah. i mean are undeniable like when you see the the images of the work even in reproduction it's really the a great the sort of like tactile nature of those it's a wonderful process and the people who who kind of safeguard it there are just phenomenal so yeah yeah i'd encourage everyone to to try it <laughs> go yeah. That's yeah. great. Um, so the show that's up now, how did that come? I mean, uh, this is like the foray back into painting that you had sort of like put on the shelf for a little bit, right? Is this the first work out of the gate? From, from that? Um, so I I was in a show at the Fort Worth Modern maybe six 
seven months ago called Women Painting Women. And mm -hmm. I had two paintings in that show. And that was the first time I kind of picked up a brush in a decade. Um, but this show is really a combination of drawing and painting. And I think I don't see that many distinctions between the two, yeah. uh, at least in my work. So for me, it's a very fluid, um, they're fluid terms. And, I, you know, this, this body of work is a bit of everything um, in terms of oil and drawing and um, painting materials. Yeah, it's, I, it, you know, seeing the show and then, which is on the 21st, mm -hmm. 21st Street, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The difference between, like, when you look at it online, too, because I was just, like, mm -hmm. looking at the images to, this mm -hmm. morning, and they really are. I mean, that difference between, you know, work on paper and canvas, I have to read it to jog my mind because, you yeah, know, they feel in the same dialogue, which I think is a Thank testament to the strength of both the image and the way it's made outside of just what it's on or what mm -hmm. it's... The, mm -hmm. what the material is thank you and the wall treatment was really cool too. <laughs> yeah i love flavor paper i've been working with them for a couple years now and i think from having worked in performance and the ballet and seeing things on a large scale and creating environments in that and in the books as well um i have this desire to kind of like you said build worlds and for yeah. me, it's a way to do that. And I work a lot with Marion Banshees, who's this wonderful typographer and designer. We work on most of the books together. And so I'll send her images and she'll design those wall vinyls. We'll kind of go back and forth and Flavor Paper produces them. And I work with them and have a few wallpapers available with them as well. Um, cool. So it's been fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, really, it's a fun thing to do. And the Arion Press guys in San Francisco were really amazing to work with for the Poe artist book. Yeah, it seems like you have a good group of, of like collaborative processes that are really fueling yeah. the entire thing, which is great. Yeah, yeah those are like vitamin B12 shots, I feel like. You know, I love <laughs> like anything I can do where I'm working with others. You know, yeah. after you spend all your time in the studio alone pretty much, you know, yeah. it's so nice to be able to like work with talented people and get their input. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. What, um, for, for inspiration of what, I mean, I'm curious, like TV, movies, music, literature, mm -hmm. are they big? I would guess. Yeah. yeah. Literature, opera, ballet, contemporary dance, um, sting other art. Um, mm -hmm those are the big ones. Um, I have really strong synesthesia. So when I listen to music, especially opera, I see imagery, not related to the opera, but to kind of paintings. And when I read that happens as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of at the core of the work too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm really interested in people and I'm very introverted, but I also really like if you get me one on one, it can get pretty serious and intense quickly because I am interested in people's stories and like you, where they came from and how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Yeah. And I think it's at the crux of of the work, but also kind of how I am in the wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fascinating, right? It's like kind of like, I don't know, I can tell you so much about people and so so the work being born out of that it's an interesting because you're kind of i would imagine like if you talk about like all these experiences with people and thinking about situations and locations mm -hmm. and 
all that stuff. Your work, the world of your work is a place for you to sort of explore nuances of all those things in your personal life or, you know, day-to-day life, and then sort of build this more, um, it's like a springboard for like ideas, visual ideas that you can craft out of those experiences that are talking about that, but in the in a broader, more open way. Is that safe to say? I'd say it's not my daily life because I'm pretty traditional in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. I really like to go exploring into other worlds. Like I spent a couple months going to dungeons in New York and spent time with dominatrices and submissives. And um, when I was working on the story of O and paintings of dominatrices and submissives, and I really like, I have friends from disparate worlds and I really enjoy kind of adventuring into those worlds and learning about them. But there's a safety to, for me to kind of keeping my life a little calm and then, you know, experiencing danger, but coming, coming back. Yeah. That's, that's brave. I don't go, (laughs) 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 I I veer away from danger at any given (laughs) (laughs) Well, not like I'm throwing myself in front of a bus, but you know, I think it's good to, to expose yourself to worlds and people and things that are different from what you're used to. No, I totally agree. I guess my mind was, I was been hearing, I've been really been reading about the whole submarine thing and thinking, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's Mm -hmm. not a danger. I think there's certain things that I don't, you know, the humans are not supposed to go there or do that. Like I won't like a bike. I won't get on a bike. (laughs) Yeah. Bike in New York city is like a (laughs) specific danger. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so now that you've, you know, hung the show, it's up to July. Mm-hmm. Is it like, I want to say the 22nd, maybe? Yeah, I think somewhere that's right. in that mm-hmm. ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When you finish a show like this, do you, are you already working on stuff or do you get to take a moment? I think there are a few things percolating that may be in performance, um, mm-hmm. but I really want to be back in the studio just painting and having a calm, um, oil painting life of yeah. portraiture and going back to work I was making about 10 years ago um, and picking up that thread. So it's been really relaxing. That's nice. And, um, yeah, it's good to see something out in the world and get it out of your space and hopefully you don't have to see it again and, you know, you move on. <laughs> kids, when they go to college, it's like, all right, Bye. Now, don't move back yeah. in. Just go out there and get them. Yeah. Call me like never. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Last question. When you're working in the studio, silence, music, podcast, music, music. I have loud neighbors. So music. Oh, you're going to, do you do the noise cancellation or do you play the music? No, Uh, no, no. Because they play the music. I have to noise cancel. Right. They're under, they're a little more under control now, but um, yeah, a lot of sadly, my Austin musical influences. So a lot of Lyle Lovett, a lot of Dylan, Mavis Staples, Mahalia Jackson. I'm not, I mean, my boyfriend and I are always, he loves contemporary music. And I'm like, mm-hmm. everyone sounds like a little girl or like they're really depressed and they're, they're mumbling. So I do love, um, you know, a good Jay-Z album or sorry, Kanye. Um, but I try to, I don't know, just there's things, some things I like a rings. I'll listen to Wagner. Um, I'll listen to things on repeat yeah. for hours. I'll listen to the whole ring cycle, but um, 
yeah, it's a lot of my folk. Love it, loud, love it. I haven't thought about loud. Oh, don't get me started. I did, unfortunately, some interview where someone asked what I listened to in the studio and I went on and on and on about Lyle Lovett and how sexy I found him and charming and alluring. And I was extolling his virtues and my friend heard it in California and said he had to pull over because he was on the highway and he was about to throw up. Um, <laughs> you and my you mom, and Julia Roberts. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's obviously something there. My mom met him on a Southwest airlines flight and said he was just as wonderful as you could expect. So I, I do go see all his shows. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can't. For some reason, the only the thing that rings with La Love It is when we were watching a, a must have been a Grammys or something when I was young, uh-huh. and someone opened the envelope and they said La Love It, and yeah. it was just we were cracking up because it just seemed so funny. And then you know he just like walks up on the stage. Yeah, like, it feels so like he would just be awkward, you know. Yeah, but he's but, this amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. He's pretty charming. Pretty great. I I would have never known La Love It. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, Austin now is like the yeah. hotbed of music. I mean, everything this goes through Austin now. Mm-hmm. Well, it did when I was growing up. My dad was the kind of unofficial rock doc in Austin. So nice. he had a friend that started a business that took care of all the rock stars. So, you know, he'd call me and he'd be like, I don't know, someone named Janet Jackson's here and she, she's offering me some like earring with a key. You, you want it? Eh, yeah. You know, this is like Bruce Springsteen <laughs> no guy. I don't know. Right. Like pick you up and put put you on his shoulders. Um, <laughs> it's pretty so, amazing. It sounds like you've had cool. a lot of great people around. Like you've been exposed to a lot of really amazing people. It's pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, likewise. Um, thanks. Well, congrats on the show. It's great. Thank Everyone you. should go see it. It's at Miles McHenry Gallery. I mean, it's it's a great show. Everyone should go check it out. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I was so excited that you asked and, and to be able to do this with you. I've admired your work for so long. Thank so you. It's really so fun to, to talk in, in virtual person. No, it's been great to, to talk to you. Thanks so much for doing it. Sound of Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundofvisionpodcast.com and find images on Instagram at soundofvisionpodcast. You can support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review or picking up the official podcast book, Why I Make Art, Contemporary Artist Stories About Life and Work. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters and Golden Artist Colors. Golden just hooked me up with a big old box of paint which I will be using all summer long. I've got a couple solo shows next year. One at Miles McHenry in the spring that I'm working on right now. So Golden hooking it up in the studio, making sure that I've got all the paint I need to make it happen. Check out their stuff and Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make some of the best coffee you can get. And you can order everything online and have it delivered to your door. So check them out. Many thanks to Natalie for taking the time. Check out her show, which is up until the 22nd of July. Got some more great episodes coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. Thanks for listening.